Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Coatsy! Uh, Rich, it's great to be back, man. It's good to good to hear your voice, uh, and welcome welcome back from the from the long dark days of uh, of babyhood. That's right. I was Mister Mom for for a, a long while, but it's we're back. Uh, the The show had a bit of a little hiatus there for a while, but uh, we're back better than ever, or at least we think we are. <laughs> and um, excited to bring the great news in the Office three sixty five developer world to our listeners. Indeed, indeed. There's so much all, been going all, on, Rich. All two of them that are remaining. <laughs> I'm, it, it's not, that's not completely fair. I've had a, a, number of, uh, a number of inquiries, both on Twitter and, and by email, saying, what's going on? When's it coming back? And not all those people have been, uh, been from my, my family either. <laughs> well, I've, I've had a, a bit of the same. In, in, internally, even, I had a bunch of people reach out saying, hey, I listened to this. What, what's going on? So uh, we're back um, and uh, happy to be there. And we're going to have some some great guests coming up. But like you said, there's been so much has happened since the last time we had a show. I thought that we'd maybe spin this show doing a little bit of catch up and get, you know, maybe your thoughts, Coatsy, on some of these, you know, great new things. And um, we can uh, then maybe next week we'll have a great guest from engineering. How's that sound? Sounds pretty good to me. In fact, uh, like the last show we did was just before uh, the, the big conference at, uh, at Ignite. Yeah, and you know, Ignite was—it's one of our two. We call them moments in the Office Developer uh, internally. So we have two big moments every year where we announce all kinds of great new things in the uh, Office 365 developer space. And so Ignite was one of those. And and we really haven't had a chance to talk about uh, all the the great things that are that are going on um, and what was announced at Ignite. So I thought we'd spend a little bit of time talking about that. Was there like a specific thing that like was maybe a favorite of yours um, that we announced at Ignite? Oh, look, we're obviously talking a lot about uh, about the SharePoint stuff. Uh, the, the, the SharePoint framework bits just continue to roll out, which which is very very cool. Um, but the, the 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 biggest thing for me, I think, was was the, the announcement we made around the graph, the Graph API. The, the Microsoft Graph is just a, just I, I, more. The more I use it, the more. I'm excited by it. So things like um, uh, SharePoint, some of SharePoint being available through the graph now, more and more of that being uh, being at least uh, promised. Um, uh, things like uh, the Excel REST APIs being GA'd. Um, think, you know, the uh, uh, file handlers, uh, the new a new version of file handlers uh, for SharePoint One Drive business. So so many cool things going on there. Yeah, you know, I sh- I kind of share your thoughts with that. Um, it, you know, I think. The things like with SharePoint Framework are fantastic, and and honestly, of all the things that Ignite, that was just talking with uh, the the people that run the developer content for Ignite. You know, that was by far some of the most popular uh, sessions. So, like Vesa Yuvanen's, you know, he did uh, some stuff around PNP and what they're doing around uh, SharePoint Framework. 
Um, it was by far some of the most attended, but uh, the that that what you mentioned about SharePoint being now it's in the beta endpoint, but at least SharePoint is now there in the Microsoft Graph where I can go and work with things like my sites and lists and things like that. And not everything is there by by no means. I mean the underscore API endpoint within SharePoint a lot is behind that, and over time we'll try to get more and more of that into the Microsoft Graph, but uh, just having some presence of some of those primary, uh, you know, some of the biggest uh, different entities like sites and lists and items and things like that is is a, certainly a, a big win. It's great. I've already got a couple of partners going great guns, um, getting ready for when that goes into GA because they they're really excited about this single endpoint concept of the sing the single single uh, uh, place to to rule them all. Yeah, we'll we'll provide a link maybe to some of the as we talk about some of these things. We'll provide links to the con because the, the actual session and the slides are out on channel nine, right. so you can actually go back and watch some of the the sessions that talked about these. So, for instance, the SharePoint endpoints in the Microsoft Graph. Uh, there was um, um, Ryan from the the OneDrive team and uh, some folks on the SharePoint team had a session that was really popular around uh, that. It would again, it was cool to see a Microsoft Graph session that was you know, standing room only. Uh, and, and that certainly was the case because, uh, you know, it's something that lots of people are looking at. And to be, you know, it's funny. I was, I was in a meeting today where we were talking about like, what, what are the, what are the key value proposition for the Microsoft graph? And I, I see there being four things uh, that are like really key for, for developers. Um, and one of the biggest ones in my mind is this concept of like automatically dealing with tenancy. And so if you think about it, like, like how, like SharePoint is one of the most, I would say, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's kind of one of the most crazy, uh, endpoints of all the Office 365 services because it's not like product specific. It's actually, uh, users or I, sometimes user specific, but it, at the very least it's tenant specific. And so like in the past we had to do all these crazy things like discovery where you had to call into a discovery service to figure out what a tenant's endpoint is. And Microsoft graph makes that 100% transparent because it just infers it based upon the user that signed in. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a, you know, definitely, a, a huge, huge win uh, for the Microsoft Graph, and excited to see more things pop up there. Yeah, I think it's enormous. Um, the the other thing that really um, struck out, that stuck out for me around the graph was the idea of the hybrid um, endpoints. Uh, so, so hybrid hybrid, hybrid uh, access to the, through the graph. So, if you happen to be running the latest version of Exchange twenty sixteen on premises, and you also have an Office three six five component uh, 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 component to your to your Exchange infrastructure. Then you can now uh, call into the Microsoft Graph and and set up the uh, and have have the Exchange on premises set up so that a call to graph.microsoft.com slash whoever the user is will reach through the in, into your on premises Exchange and get all that information out as well. Yeah, and, and I I hope that this is just the cusp of what we're doing for the hybrid scenarios because like all our products. You know, by far, Exchange is one of the most popular products to be hybrid, and it's also probably the simplest hybrid scenario to configure. But there's other products that we have that 
would benefit greatly from this that I'm hoping like over time we'll see it. So SharePoint's a good example of, you know, where you have hybrid scenarios. There might be maybe team sites and OneDrive sites that are in the cloud, but maybe departmental sites or the intranet or some specialty sites that are on premises. And, and, you know, hopefully over time we'll see more of this, but the exchange team like normal, you know, they are, they're kind of the trailblazers for us. They tends to, be one of the, the first teams to come out with something innovative like this. I know they did it with things like webhooks and, you know, other creative things in the RESTful endpoint of, of uh, their product. And so it's cool to, to see that innovation now kind of coming from some of the hybrid things. Yeah, very, very cool indeed. I guess the last one that stuck out for me around Graph was the OpenType extensions. We've had this in preview for a little while, but the idea of being able to add custom data to um, things like uh, um, uh, contacts or, or messages and have that persist with those, um, with those items and then be able to be retrieved later is very, very neat. So you can add a, a, a flag to a message that says we've processed this in the CRM or you can add, a, um, you can add a, an, additional, an additional piece of information that flows around with that, with that object and it's very, very cool. Yeah, agreed. I, I think, um, you know, and I think that's another area that we'll see a lot more really interesting things coming into the graph uh, on being able to not just call a, I won't call it a static endpoint, but being able to maybe like more dynamically mold the graph to serve your needs. Um, I think, I think that's kind of a really great opportunity that we have because like a lot of the product endpoints are starting to become mature. You know, SharePoint maybe is a little bit behind where things like uh, OneDrive and and um, Outlook. In fact, one of the cool things I heard is that as it stands today, we're at 100% parity between the OneDrive endpoints that, that if you go straight to OneDrive and what's in the graph. So, um, you know, that's that that's our goal across all the products. But, uh, you know, we, we also want to look at kind of how the graph can serve Maybe someone that's building their own software as well, um, you know, maybe being able to, you know, deliver, uh, you know, add their own custom properties and things like that to serve their needs. Right, right. Very, very neat. And you can imagine extending, for example, the contacts in a, um, uh, in a CRM system to add additional fields that make a bunch of sense for that particular system. And they just become part of the contact that, that lives in, 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 uh, in Office 365. Yep. Very, very neat. So moving on from graph, um, you know, the concept of add-ins was certainly very popular. We've already mentioned a little bit about the SharePoint framework. There wasn't um, a lot of like new content around the SharePoint framework at Ignite. It was really more of an emphasis of what was already announced back in, in August. Right. But um, they certainly had a lot of content around that and, and how you can build some exciting things and, and how they leverage it with, you know, the new concept of having graph endpoints for SharePoint. But um, there was a lot of cool things around add-ins. One of the probably most notable was um, being able to support uh, Office web add-ins with OneNote. Uh, that is now GA. So that was something that we previewed at uh, Build last year. And now those are in GA. So um, I, I haven't, you know, I haven't had a chance. I'm, I'm a very just airing my own dirty laundry. I'm a very unorganized OneNote user. And, and I think primarily because the platform is so forgiving with search, I can just, I don't have to worry about having the best taxonomy. I can just go search and it finds what I'm looking for. 
But um, have you had a chance to to use any of the the add-ins for OneNote? I haven't played with them yet. Um, it's one of the things that's really high on my list for for after this silly season has uh, has got over. We, we we had such a down a couple of weeks ago, and, and then a bunch of other things going on. But it's it's high on my priority list to to really get into because I think, as you say, OneNote is one of those uh, one of those gems that. Uh, that, that I use all the time that I think more and more people are using. I was having this discussion with a mate of mine yesterday, actually, about how he's pretty much entirely gone across from Evernote into OneNote now because he just likes it as a note-taking, note-taking platform. Uh, and, and, um, I think being able to, being able to extend it and make it do the things that you really want it to do is, is, uh, is very exciting. I'll tell you one thing. This is pretty interesting. Um, you know, I've started to use a Mac as my primary device and then I run Windows in a VM. Um, when I was a Windows only user, there was a, a great tool for OneNote. This is kind of a, a tangent, but I, I just thought I'd mention it. There was this, you could get this clip to OneNote, um, capability. And, and when I went to a Mac, I, I assumed it just, it wouldn't be there, um, in for, for a Mac. And I went and looked in the Chrome store and there it, it is there. So I don't know if anyone has, has used this before, but you can go get this one, this clip to OneNote. Uh, add-in for Chrome, and it's fantastic if you travel at all. Like what I'll do usually is I'll open up a whole bunch of things and just clip it to OneNote. Uh, any like good blog post, you know, that I need to catch up on, I get all that into OneNote, and then I can read it on the plane. And it's something that I can reference later if I want to search. I can easily find things. Uh, so uh, I thought that was kind of neat. It, it, you know, it's using the same type of APIs that you can call into through the OneNote APIs, but uh, I think that again, just kind of a cool thing that we're doing around extensibility with OneNote. Yeah, very, very cool indeed. The other thing that struck out, stood out for me in uh, in the add-ins piece was the work we're doing around the admin deployment of add-ins uh, in Office 365 tenants, uh, which makes it much, much easier to, to push out uh, add-ins as an administrator to your organization or to parts of your organization. Very, very cool stuff. Uh, and the other thing we did is sort of in, in that same in that same vein was we provided a preview of deep linking to add-ins. So now instead of saying, hey, just search for it in the store, you can actually put a deep link like you can to the Windows Store or to the App Store uh, uh, for, uh, for things you install on your device. Yeah, both of those are huge for discoverability. I mean, that, to be quite honest, that's probably one of the biggest complaints we get about add-ins is, you know, uh, everyone like will go and when they actually go and search the store, they find that there's like these really uh, powerful and and productive add-ins, but it, it's multiple clicks to go and find them. And, and both of these are big ways of making add-ins more visible. So um, r- rather than having to have a user hunt through uh, and find an add-in that might be hidden away in like a, a corporate catalog that you have in SharePoint or a file share somewhere. By kind of uh, pushing those in from an admin standpoint, you might automatically have a, a ribbon extension show up that uh, activates your add-in in a task pane or something. And then the deep linking, again, that just, uh, you know, a great way to provide a URL that can help kind of immediately get some of those add-ins up and running uh, in, in Office. So, yeah, awesome, awesome stuff with the add-in space. The other piece in there is there's a, there's, we've added some support for being able to do first-run um, uh, capabilities inside add-ins, which I love. The, the idea that 
So I've installed this add-in and now what? Is kind of taken away by, I've installed this add-in and now I'm getting a couple of little hints about what I do. Click on this button, here's, here's, I can show you a video and show you how this might work or I can, I can uh, uh, point at some, some of the buttons and say, now, now click this and you'll get, you'll get some additional capabilities. And this is, I think, again, part of that discoverability piece. It's all very well finding the add-in, but now what do you do? And we've kind of helped solve that problem too. Yep. So, so moving on from add-ins, the, the kind of final area, uh, if, if you've looked at our vision over time, like for, for years, we talked about our vision being add-ins and APIs. And at Build last year, we switched that vision to kind of the trifecta of add-ins, APIs, but then also like this concept of having conversations. So conversations as a platform. And there's, there's a, a lot of components of that that we'll end up spending when we talk about kind of our next big major topic that's happened since the last show we had. Um, there was one thing at Ignite around this that was pretty significant, which was we've talked about connectors in the past and the idea of being able to, you know, have connectors as a, a really, uh, interesting way of delivering actionable information for a user in their inbox. Well, two big things we did at, at Ignite is one is we announced that we're going to be previewing connectors for an inbox. And you might say, well, yeah, isn't that what was already there? Well, no. Um, in the past, connectors was specific to a group. Right. Well, what we're going to have the ability to do is is have a connector for an individual. Uh, and so that's pretty neat is not everyone uses Office 365 groups. Um, and you still might want to use the concept of some of these connectors. And you can now add those directly or previewing the ability for those to be in your inbox. And the second thing was we announced the preview of actionable messages. So in the past for a connector card, um, again, this idea of sending third-party data in kind of a, a nice formulated card into an inbox, you could do actions, but they were only navigate actions. So you could open up a new browser window that went to some link. What we're doing now is the ability to have an actionable message where you never have to pop open a new window. Uh, so there's some really great scenarios for this where I can just perform an action directly from one of these uh, cards. So uh, probably the one of the easiest to uh, maybe relate to is an approval, is why would I have to necessarily go somewhere else when I get an, uh, an approval notification in my inbox? Well, with these new actionable messages, I can simply click on approve or reject right there and be able to, uh, you know, kind of uh, work with that uh, without ever leaving my inbox. Yeah, it's very, very cool stuff. Uh, and, and I think, as you say, that this co concept of keeping people in the context in which they're already sitting rather than having to make them switch context is hugely productive. And it's something that we've been working towards as office developers for a long time. And it's one of one of the guiding principles, I think. And one of the cool things about this is I, I, I don't I want to I don't want to sell it short that, you know, buttons are the only way I can perform an action is is and, and we'll have a link to this. But this idea of performing actions, it might be more than just a button like and a good example would be an approval. If I reject it, it's probably not very helpful for the person who submitted it just to get a rejection. They probably want some context. And so I might have a. 
um, a, not only a button to reject, but also a maybe a text box to provide some feedback, or maybe I need to have a drop-down list of some options, or maybe have a date picker, some sort of like additional data capture as part of that action, and and we totally support that in a very uh, creative and, and flexible way. Yeah, I think it's very very neat stuff. So that kind of helps us transition into the next kind of major thing that happened uh, since our last show, which was Microsoft Teams. Oh, man, I am loving this. I don't know if you'll if you'll be using it much, but I've uh, we, we've kind of adopted this holders bolus in a bunch of the different teams I'm in. So our our, our own. Little team, the DX in Australia, we've, we've, we're using it all the time. Uh, we've set up a bunch of teams for things like our Ignite planning. Uh, there's teams for APAC level stuff. There's teams at, at sort of the, the, the corporate level things. Uh, and I just, it seems so intuitive to me. It seems like exactly what I've been looking for in terms of this collaboration piece. Yeah, and, and so for those that maybe have been under a rock or just you know maybe use this podcast as their only source of information, um, probably not too many, but um, there the idea of Teams is in a way I guess I'll just call it out. It is is Microsoft's answer in many ways to the popularity of Slack. Um, in fact, it looks very similar to Slack. There are a lot of differences. There's threaded conversations, but. You know, this is a an area that certainly, you know, Slack found uh, a very productive way for people to work. And, and you know, Microsoft, I, I think we like to think of ourselves as leaders in productivity. And so we, you know, took a lot of learnings from what Slack has done and, and went to try to see if we couldn't deliver um, an even better experience that's already integrated with all the other productivity things that people use, like their files, like their task that they work on um, in terms of like, you know, project planning and all their contacts and presence and all these different things built into a, a collaborative application. Let me give you uh, a quick that- example of, of how well we've started to integrate that stuff. I, I created a new team the other day. I hit the new team button that says, hey, I noticed that you've actually got a group set up in Office 365 that doesn't have a team yet. Is that the team that you want to set up? And it actually happened to be. like the, the, It was a group of people we were working with. We had an Office 365 group, but we didn't have a team set up in Teams. And like, just by clicking yes, all those people were automatically added. That integration piece has just been so productive. Yeah, and it's um, it, to me, it, it one of the great things is I, I, behind the scenes, I, I believe that Teams is built on um, uh, Electron. And so we, from the very get-go, we have a client for like everything. There's right. a Mac client, there's a Windows client, there's mobile clients, and it's a very consistent experience. It's a really great experience. So I've I've really enjoyed using this as well. You know, it's something that um, it's based upon the idea of creating teams, and then you can create different topic channels within those teams for you know r- really anything that you want. Um, and I really do like this concept of the th- the threads. I've been a Slack user for a long time, and and sometimes it feels a little bit um, overwhelming if I've been away from it for like a couple of days, and I Absolutely. come back and it says you have 500 unread messages, and it's just. It's just a long stream. There's no, there's no like breakup of the conversations, and so I really like that. For context, and it's really, it's it's really hard coming in from nothing to do that, especially exactly. if you're trying to read backwards. 
Exactly. Exactly. So I really like that. So from a, you know, anytime we deliver a new application, and again, this is a whole new application that is for, for now, it's something that is going to be uh, a part of an Office 365 organizations like um, license. I don't, I don't know exactly all the licensing yet because it is in a preview, but ultimately it's something that you can turn on in your Office 365 tenant and, um, it's, it, you can provide this capability from, from the start. And, and so anytime we deliver a new application, we always try to think about the extensibility story around this. And so, um, as part of this preview, we are also announcing a developer preview around Teams. Um, so, so Coatsy, what are, what are some of the different ways that a developer can deliver a better experience inside of Teams? Well, look, again, it's all about context, right? So if there's something that's going on, uh, if, I don't know, you may be connecting back to um, uh, a, 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 um, a ticket management system, for example, uh, and you want to have uh, a, a details about a particular trouble, a, a, a particular um, a service ticket, uh, and you might be discussing it in your team. Having that tab from that for that ticket management system and being able to go and get that information in that context, in the context in which you're, you're normally normally working, is very very powerful. It's uh, that's, that's one of the ones I really like. Yeah. So um, a few of the things that like specific things that we're going to allow developers to do. One is something that you have already seen related to kind of groups and teams, which is connectors. So if you built a connector for Office 365 groups without doing anything, it will automatically function in Microsoft Teams. So really what the Teams group did is they went and um, basically under, they understand the schema of uh, a connector and a connector card and they basically built a renderer and the ability to like do all these, you know, new actionable messages so again, to me, that's awesome. Like if, if I, if I already was building a connector, I just automatically get that to, to work inside of, of teams. It's very, very cool. Bots, another one that, where that, that works really well. If, and, and in fact, uh, one of the things they announced at the, uh, in, in this blog post about, about the um, developer preview piece was that uh, the bots you might've written for Slack can also be uh, just, just brought across using message.io. That's right. So we, um, and, and if you've done anything with our bot framework, uh, it is a channel. So there is a Microsoft Teams channel. Uh, and, and again, that's again a beautiful thing with the, the bot framework is I build one bot and I can just turn on different channels. There's usually not a whole lot of additional development that I might need to do, uh, in order to activate a new channel. In some cases there is, but, you know, especially for something like Slack. Um, these can it can port over um, almost immediately in a lot of cases, and so uh, bots are like uh, one uh, additional developer component for Microsoft Teams. And I guess I should point out one thing is one of the biggest feedbacks I get from partners around bots is they want to build enterprise scenarios, and thus far, and I know there's a lot of activity going on around bots internally at Microsoft. But as it stands right now, Skype for Business doesn't really support bots. And Teams builds in a lot of the the capabilities of 
uh, Skype for business. So there's already presence. I can do, you know, IMs. It even has like my meetings that can, can be in there. And so this is audio calls with, with people on the team. It's, it's great. Yeah. And so this is a great like answer to that. If you're like, have the desire to build a bot that integrates with Skype for business, um, I guess our guidance as it stands right now is really design it for Microsoft Teams. And, and over time, we hope that um, the idea is that you should just be able to turn on Skype for Business as another channel. Um, and then, again, that's something that, you know, we're going through the design and, and seeing how that will function and scale in the cloud. And so um, you don't have to wait with Microsoft Teams. It's something that's available for you now to, to work with. Very cool indeed. And so the, the third area of, uh, I would say, developer surface, so we talked about connectors, we talked about bots. The third one is this concept of a tab. Yeah. And so I, I think this is actually really cool. Um, and, it, and if you look at kind of the user interface of a team, every channel can have different tabs. So there's obviously, you know, a tab maybe for the conversations that occur. You might have uh, a tab for tasks if you're using like planner type of capabilities but you can also have these custom tabs and so it's a way for a developer to maybe build their own user interface um, and have that surfaced within teams where you know if you have any sort of web content that can be surfaced in here and we have a lot of great guidance already in terms of how you build a uh, custom tab and there, there's a lot of a lot of detail around it, everything from how do I configure a tab, like if there's settings for the tab, uh, to how do I get contextual information within my page? Because ultimately, your page is, uh, I guess probably the best way to say it is, it's living in a frame, um, but we have a library, a JavaScript library that you can call to get contextual information like um, who the user is, what group there um, it's being d- displayed in, the channel, uh, what sort of uh, – I can even get authentication type of information. And it even provides – if I need to do authentication to other providers like maybe Facebook or GitHub or something else, we provide guidance on how you could go about authenticating and, and getting access within those tabs. Yeah, it's very, very cool stuff. I think this is uh, an exciting – Opportunity for a bunch of people uh, uh, to add, uh, add add their functionality inside the uh, inside Teams. I, I I I could be I could be biased, but uh, but this, this is one of the the more exciting things that we've released over the last little while in terms of productivity, not just for developers, but for for uh, entire organisations. I, I totally agree. Um, I, I I do think it's a transformational thing. I mean, to, to give Slack credit where credits due, you know they came up with a, a pretty transformational concept. And, and I think Microsoft just had all of the great additional things to sprinkle a, a, around it to make it, a, in my mind, an even more compelling scenario. Like all the other Office 365 and productivity things are just already automatically integrated. And then from a developer standpoint... You know, I'm probably not doing it justice by talking about these different silos that developers have. They have bots, they have connectors, they have tabs. Well, really, like our vision is, is that a developer just builds a Microsoft Teams app 
and it might contain one or all of those different capabilities. Um, and, that, and that's really our vision is that it, you don't think of it in terms of, oh, I can build a bot. You build an app that might have a bot, but it also might have a tab to have some summary information. Um, and so like, may, like for instance, let's say I build a bot that is a, uh, maybe just like a, a Q and A type of bot. Well, as like I get answers, maybe we display those as a history on, in a tab page to where everyone can see, uh, some of those things as, uh, and so I, I just think that there's these really great scenarios where we're going to bring all these capabilities together and, and developers have the opportunity to, to lead that. Yeah. Very, very cool indeed. Um, and we'll put a link to the, uh, to some, some great, uh, additional info in the show notes. Yes. So um, that kind of covers the two really big announcements. Was there any other uh, info we wanted to maybe talk about that's that's maybe an, an ancillary thing but still pretty um, exciting and important for the O365 developer community? So there are two things that, that I saw. The first one is that um, we've done an, an update to Graph Explorer um, and, and uh, next next week we'll talk a little bit. Uh, we've, we've got an interview with, uh, with with one of the Graph Explorer PMs, um, which is awesome. But uh, but this week we'll just talk to a little bit about the, uh, the, the updates that happened. One of them is... Um, and this is this is something interestingly I got asked about uh, a week or so ago uh, is um, uh, a screen reader capability on, on Graph Explorer. So it's now it's now an accessible um, uh, application that runs on your uh, little allows you to explore the graph. Yeah, it, I mean it is one of those things that um, you know they certainly have developers of all um, you know diversity, and so it's it's great that we're. You know, bringing not only our documentation, but tools like the Graph Explorer uh, to be up to par with, you know, what they would expect from an accessibility standpoint. That's cool. The other next one is that um, Graph Explorer is great as long as you've got some data to actually explore. Um, and if you've got, if you set up your Office um, 365 developer trial um just just set it up. There's very little in there, but we've got a uh, now got a bunch of sample data you can use, and you can run any site, any kind of get you would normally do a, a, against a demo account, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that, that, uh, especially for like the organizational scenarios. Uh, you know, one of the one of the other interesting things about this Graph Explorer is it, it is fully supported by both. Uh, organizational accounts and by um, personal accounts. So we're bringing that concept of converged auth of commercial and consumer services together to where I can use Graph Explorer just with my Outlook.com account. Uh, but if I wanted to maybe run more kind of interesting scenarios, you, you do have that sample data that you can work with uh, to, to play with. Right. And the last one that, that I um – that, that, that has, has actually hit me a couple of times, uh, is that we've added, um, uh, we don't, you don't need admin, admin consent to run it anymore. Uh, it was, uh, it was something that caught a couple of people out when they tried to run Graph Explorer against their production organizational account. Their administrator hadn't given admin consent to Graph Explorer and therefore they couldn't run it. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, unfortunately, as it stands today, like to work with a lot of the group endpoints, uh, so like groups read or groups read write all, um, those do require an administrator of your tenant to be able to like, do the initial consent. After they've consented, um, then it's something where others can just start to use it. So a good example is 
if if I had built Graph Explorer at Microsoft, I couldn't use it on Microsoft.com uh, accounts uh, in that tenancy. But I certainly um, can get the uh, tenant administrator to go and hopefully uh, get that consented to and then start using it. Well, now I don't have to worry about that. Um, any user can go and do it. Now, there w- there might be some queries that you run that tell you you have your authorization is denied because you're not an admin. But um, we give a nice little note at the top of the screen where we can give you a link if you want to pass it off to your admin, and then you'd be able to run any of the queries. Right. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Um, a couple of little things that we've kind of added, which is which is nice. I think that, that those those are the big Graph Explorer things. We've also added the ability to keep a history, which is nice, especially if you're showing stuff off. So you, you can you don't have to go and retype all those things again, you know, or or rely on the the caching mechanism of the um, uh, of the browser. And then um, there's a bunch of things we can do around um, header uh, updates as well. Very cool. So definitely go check out uh, the Graph Explorer. We'll have a link to um, a blog post that talks about the updates. Um, there was also Yina Arenas, uh, who is uh, one of our uh, – she's really the – I would say the the godmother or godfather or whatever you want to call it of the Microsoft Graph. I don't know Fair. what she'd want to be called there. I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll call her the godmother of, of the Microsoft Graph. Um, she, uh, she did an office dev show while I was out where they talked and showed some of those updates. So go out, if you want to look on the channel nine, uh, office dev show, there's a, a really good video that shows some of these updates, but we'll have the blog post and you can just go to graph.microsoft.io and test it out for yourself. Awesome. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I, I use it all the time for, for just mucking around with graph and seeing, seeing the things I can do. Very, very cool. Mate, have you got anything else that you want to chat about? Well, the last thing I'll mention is last year we piloted a um, a open hackathon. So we, we would go to events and do hackathons. Like I'd go to TechCrunch Disrupt or go to like an Android conference or an Angular conference. And we do these kind of closed hackathons for attendees. Well, last year we decided we were going to do like a worldwide hackathon specific to Office uh, called Hack Productivity. And there was like – I think we had like $35,000 worth of cash prizes. Well, we're bringing that back. Uh, so we have kind of uh, the second annual Hack Productivity uh, uh, hackathon. And we're upping our game even more. So there's uh, over $50,000 worth of prizes. So just to um, tell, give you a, a, an idea of this, first prize gets $15,000. They get to meet with Microsoft Ventures uh, to pitch kind of their idea. They get, they're going to be featured on this podcast. So we'll have that winning team on here later on when the winner is selected. They get two tickets to the Microsoft Build Conference, uh, which we haven't even really announced yet, but I guess you're hearing it here first. There will be a Microsoft Build Conference <laughs> because it says it here um, for 2017. Uh, you'll be featured in the office store. You'll get some sweatshirts, some swag. So, I mean, this is pretty sig- – I mean, $15,000 is a big chunk of money that you could win for putting together a compelling scenario. Right. Yeah, it's very, very neat. It's and it's um, it it, it to me this this is um this this globalization of of the hack is uh, is very, very significant because it means that there are, you don't have to be 
able to travel to, I don't know, TechCrunch, Disrupt or, or Build or wherever to participate in something that's, that, this is, um, that is this extensive. Agreed. You know, it is certainly allow. It's it's removing the barriers for uh, really anyone to participate, regardless of where you're at, um, regardless of your your background. Uh, you can build something for for this uh, organization. There are a, a few restrictions around eligibility, so definitely go to the link. There's a, a few countries and regions that aren't eligible, but um, definitely check this out. Um, I wish I could uh, participate. I mean, that's that's the type of money that gets me motivated. But unfortunately, <laughs> Microsoft employees are not eligible. But uh, I definitely am excited to see what the community creates. I would love, 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 love for the winner to be a listener of the show. Yeah, that'd be would, great. If we could really cool. that, that, that'd be very cool. I'm not sure we've got a great deal of influence over that. But look, other than to say, go and do it. Be 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 awesome. That's right. So uh, we'll have the links to all this stuff. I mean, it's been it's uh, it's it's sad that we've had to do this big uh, update over the last few months, but uh, it's been a busy time. I again, I was out with with babies, and uh, Andrew was super super busy with all things work. But we're back uh, and excited to bring the message to the Office 365 developer world and have some great shows lined up, great guests, and um, always interested in hearing your feedback. So so drop us a line, shoot us a tweet, and uh, we're, we're here to, to serve you guys and, and excited to, to be doing that. Awesome. Thanks, Rich. Chat next week. All right. Talk to you later. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.